0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Thank you, Sister Gretchen. I'll tell you, that's what the message is all about today, the old, old story. I don't have a new one for you, but I sure do have the old one. We're speaking a series on the blood of Jesus. It's still the blood. If you already have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Joshua. I said in the beginning of this particular series that this was not a series designed to give you goosebumps, to make you warm and fuzzy, and to tickle your ears. If that's the kind of preaching you want, you need somebody else to do it, not me. This sermon right here goes to the heart of what Sister Gretchen just sang about the old old story. And we're talking this morning about the scarlet lifeline of the Bible. This, as I also have mentioned to you, this is not a preaching type of a sermon. This is more of a teaching type of a sermon. And I don't believe that there's a more important or necessary doctrine in the Bible than the blood of Jesus. Now, I know the blood of Jesus is associated with the sacrifice of Christ and the glorious resurrection. You cannot take any of those elements out or apart from one another. You have the death of Christ, you have the resurrection. If you don't have a resurrection after the death of Christ, we don't have anything. And so, This goes to the heart of the matter. I want to teach you in this series. It's designed that I teach you what I believe to be one of the most important and necessary doctrines in all of the word of God. Uh, So I hope you get this in your heart, not just to let it go in your mind, but let it go deep down in your heart. I hope that it will take root this morning. Because I'm going to teach you some elements that I believe are pertinent and extremely necessary for you in the faith. And so I want you to look with me in Joshua chapter 2 as we talk about the scarlet lifeline of the Bible. The first couple of points is going to move fairly quickly, but I want you to stay with me all the way through. In Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse number 18, the Bible says this, Behold, When we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless, and whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quiet, quit of thine oath which as thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet line in the window. The first thing that I want to talk about today is some comparisons, some of the best things to know about the Old and the New Testament put together. And I want you to think about this, how well they blend together, how well they go together. I've had people to tell me many times in the past, well, preacher, the Old Testament is just so out of date. I don't know why we even reference it anymore. But the truth of the matter is the Old Testament is just as valuable and important to us today as it's ever been. The Old Testament and the New Testament, they just blend together. One is precious as the other. Here's the thing that I want you to remember this morning, that the Old Testament points people to Jesus. And the New Testament presents Jesus. Try to remember that. The Old Testament points people to Jesus. And the New Testament presents Jesus. The Old Testament tells us that Jesus is coming. And this was the message for... over 4,000 years. In fact, there are hundreds of messianic prophecies in the scripture all the way from Genesis to Malachi. And that declares his glorious truth. The New Testament confirms that Jesus has come. Again, the Old Testament tells us that he's coming and the New Testament confirms that Jesus has come. In fact, there are over 318 references in the scripture. According to the second coming of Christ. Both Old and New Testaments, I want you to think with me today, they go hand in hand. And I personally believe that it's possible that you can take the Old Testament, and there's enough scripture in the Old Testament about the Lord Jesus Christ that you could win a person to Christ from the Old Testament. In fact, there's a scripture that I quote very often It comes from the prophet Isaiah, and you have to understand that these Old Testament prophets, as I said just a minute ago, they point people to Christ. The New Testament presents that he is here, but there is a scripture, a classic verse of scripture when Isaiah the prophet said, by faith, he was wounded for our transgressions. Isaiah believed 750 years before Jesus went to the cross that he would come to the cross, that he would die a sacrificial death. He was wounded, Isaiah said, by faith. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him and with his stripes we're healed. So I believe that a scripture like that, and though there are many in the Old Testament... The Old Testament can clearly be used to win people to the cause of Christ. And the thing that binds the New Testament and the Old Testament together is the scarlet lifeline of the precious blood of Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today. And I hope that it will penetrate your heart this morning. That's what the message is all about. The passage before us today is a most familiar story, I believe, to most of us. If you look at number two on your outline this morning, it's the story of Rahab the harlot. Now, the thing that I want you to understand about this, if you're unfamiliar with this aspect, and it's extremely important, I encourage you to write this down and to mark it in your Bible, not to forget this. Rahab was a Canaanite. That's critical. It's extremely important. She was a Canaanite woman who was Destined for destruction. Perhaps you remember a time when you were positioned in life destined for destruction. We are all sinners by birth. And so we're born into this world destined for destruction. But maybe there is a point in time in your life that you can reference, you can remember, where you were positioned for destruction, maybe because of some bad influences. Maybe because of some bad decisions. I don't know, but perhaps you can recall some of those circumstances in your life when all you could see was this thing going south, your life going south very quickly, circumstances all around you disintegrating. And maybe you know somebody right now that's in that position. And maybe you're praying for them. You're earnestly praying for them. Maybe you yourself are going through those circumstances right now, but maybe you know somebody that's going through that. I personally thank God for divine intervention every single day. Somebody that you know that is in dire straits right now, or you yourself, somebody you know that's going through an extremely difficult situation where it just seems like that they're destined for destruction. Don't ever quit praying for somebody like that because when you pray the hardest, I believe that puts you into a position where you're really expressing yourself to the throne of God. You're begging, you're crying out for his mercy, his grace. And let me tell you this, there are people all around us who are in dire straits right now who require divine intervention. Just last night, just last night, I got this phone message from the Leal family and they were heading out for a family vacation. Jacob had been going through some physical problems off and on periodically for the last year and they really didn't know exactly what it was. But when they got to the vicinity of where they were going, his appendix ruptured. They were close to a hospital. And the doctor said this was going to be a very difficult surgery. And I began to pray. We began to pray. And it was not only going to be a very strenuous surgery, obviously an emergency surgery, but some of you may know what it's like. Or maybe I know Danny has been through the situation when you've had your appendix to burst, but it's not, it's not like going in and getting your toenail fixed. When your appendix ruptures, It's a very critical thing to have a young person going through that. We begin to pray and pray, and God brought him through the surgery. Do you know why I believe God did that? Because of some divine intervention. It wasn't just a casual situation. It was a situation to where we needed God to show up, and God did that. Thank God for divine intervention. Divine intervention is something like this. I don't believe that there's anybody here this morning by an accident. I believe that God has every person in this service today for a reason. And those of you that are watching by internet, you might be going through dire straits right now. Listen, you just didn't stumble across the program today. God has you here listening for a very important reason, and I hope you stay focused in the service this morning. Rahab and her family, as well as the entire city of Jericho, they had the judgment of God hanging over their heads It sort of reminds me of the United States of America today. We definitely have the judgment of God hanging over our heads. And it's been said like this, that if God didn't bring judgment on America, he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're living in a very critical day today. Everything that used to be wrong is right, and everything that used to be right is wrong, and that's the society, that's the world that we live in. I believe this world is on a head-on collision course with God, just like Jericho. Rahab was a woman living in darkness and immorality. In fact, if you know anything about this woman in the Scripture, she made her living in prostitution. But God had begun to work in her life and he had allowed certain things to cross her path that opened up her curiosities about God, the God of Israel. God began to work in her life and she had a moment, she had a window of an opportunity. And in this working of God and in this window of opportunity, Rahab had a strong desire to turn her life around. It was the beckoning of God and in the moment of her opportunity. And let me say this, God, I believe, gives us all a moment of opportunity. What will you do with yours? God gives us all an opportunity. Aren't you glad he's the God of second chances? If you read the book of Jonah, the word says, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. I'm so glad that God gives us second opportunities. He gives us opportunities, but then by divine intervention, he gives us another chance. God doesn't kick us to the curb. God continues to want to work with us. This story right here, God gave Rahab a window of opportunity, an opportunity to change the path that she was on. And in that moment, she believed God and she turned to God. And God miraculously transformed her life. She had her sins forgiven. And here's the thing. She became a vital instrument, a vital servant for God. Now, this is interesting. And I want you to stay here with me on this train of thought. Don't lose this. Write some of this down. This is fascinating. As a result of Rahab the harlot turning her life around, taking opportunity after opportunity to step into the path of God and doing that in a very positive way. As a result of that, again, remember now, she was a Canaanite woman. And as a result of her taking the opportunities that God gave her to transform her life and to turn her life around, this Canaanite woman, she was brought into the commonwealth of Israel. That's significant. As a result of Rahab turning her life to God, having her sins forgiven, God brought this Canaanite woman into the commonwealth of Israel. And as a result of that, Rahab would become the grandmother, listen now, the great-great-grandmother of King David. Now, why is that significant? It keeps getting better. Because of the bloodline of the ancestry, she was brought into that of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In fact, there's a scripture, I'm not going to speak long on this this morning, and I'll reference it really quickly, but in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible is talking about some genealogy and he says, and Salaam so begat Boaz of Rakab, Rahab. This is significant because she was brought into not only the commonwealth of Israel, not only becoming the great, great grandmother of King David, but she was brought into the bloodline of ancestry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of her belief and because of the transformation, she was added into the great hall of fame. In the scriptures, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 for a minute. The Bible says this, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. So here's the thing. Rahab, as you know, if you're familiar with the story, she had hid the two spies from Joshua to spy out the land. Do you know that story? And as a result of her assistance, an acceptance of God, she accepted the God of Israel, turned away from her idols and pagan worship. She submitted herself to the God of Israel. Her life and the life of her family was spared. And here's what I'd like to do real quickly. I want us to go back and look in chapter 2, verse 18 through 21. Again, I want to read it quickly. I don't want this to leave your mind. Joshua 2, verse number 18. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And we will be guiltless, and whosoever shall be with thee in the house His blood shall be on our head if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, Accordingly unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line. In the window. Now, let me point out to you this morning, the way of her deliverance was the scarlet cord, or in other words, her faith. Think with me about that today. And the way of our deliverance is through faith. The way of deliverance for the two spies was the scarlet cord. And so I want you to think today, Joshua 2.15, look at this. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. Now listen carefully. I want to show you something this morning. What the scarlet cord was to Rahab and the two spies is a picture of what the blood of Jesus is to you and I. Don't lose that thought. That's so important. Let me say it again. What the scarlet cord was to Rahab and the two spies is a picture of what the blood of Jesus is to you and me. And I want to remind you that the scarlet lifeline that runs from Genesis to Revelation is a picture of the blood covenant that God made with mankind. Every single time we open our Bible, it easily can remind us of God's plan and purpose with his blood. One of the greatest things about the blood is that it is a covenant from God that cannot be broken. That's imperative. Number three, real quickly, the blood was God's eternal plan of redemption. Every single page of the Bible can be traced back to the blood. And that ought to convince us, listen carefully, that ought to convince us that Calvary was not an afterthought with God. It's not something that he just stumbled upon. And it's important to understand that the blood covenant was planned before God ever made this world. Before this planet was ever placed into space, God had predetermined in his heart that he would one day send his only begotten son to die on a cross. So please don't forget that Calvary was not incidental. It was not accidental. It was fundamental from the very beginning. In fact, Revelation 13 verse 8 says this, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's why the scripture says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. Look at this carefully. Of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And that tells us that in the heart of God, before he ever laid the foundations of this world, before he had ever scooped out the oceans, before he had ever carved out the mountains, before he had ever hung the sun, the moon, the stars into place, before there was anything in the material realm, God had a plan with his blood. That's why it's critical. It's a critical theme throughout the entire word of God. Number four. This scarlet lifeline is not only an important theme of the Bible, but it's also, listen carefully, a significant aspect of confirmation in the eternal security of the believer. Don't let the devil think for one minute that you can lose your salvation. I don't have time to preach a message on eternal security today, but I will tell you this. The word says that no man will be able to pluck us out of the safe hands of Jesus. Jesus. There is absolutely... Listen, if you could lose your salvation, then there would be a sin greater than the grace of God. There would be a sin greater than the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, the Scripture says. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 14. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say not of this building... Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Not temporary redemption, but eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I like that old song that says my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Anywhere you open the Bible you can find the crimson river, the red river of redemption. It's the scarlet lifeline that will set us free from the shackles of sin. I like that old song I like new songs, but I like old songs. I like that old one that says, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Number five this morning, and this is very important. I want you to stay with me here. Look at this very carefully. We must stay true to God's plan of salvation. In a changing world that we're living in right now, and this world's changing by the day. It's getting to the place where we can really honestly, truthfully say it's changing by the minute. Some things will be different by the time you get home from church today. Some things will be different by the time the sun sets tonight. We're living in a changing world, rapidly changing right before our eyes. And if the blood of Jesus is going to be preached in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the way that the prophets and the priests and the apostles and the writers of scriptures, there are over 40 different writers in the Bible, has stayed true to the message by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully. It's up to you and I to preserve the preaching and the teaching of this sacred book. And so we must stay true to God's plan of salvation. One of the greatest things that we need to pray for is that God would keep the church of the living God, not just our church, but the church of the living God, that he would keep it true to the plan of salvation. Here's the thing that I want you to understand, that no matter how fast this world is changing and no matter what changes in this world, we cannot change the gospel to suit the times that we live in. Can somebody say amen? Amen. People today, they're rewriting the Bible because of the times in which we live. They're changing their morals because of the times in which we live. They're changing their convictions because of the times in which we live. But please listen carefully. If Jesus tarries his coming, The gospel message must still be preached just as it is in the word of God. And here is the important reason for that. The gospel has to be preached in the same old-fashioned way because... We have descendants coming behind us. We have grandchildren coming behind us. We have great-grandchildren coming behind us. And listen carefully. If we don't preserve the gospel, if we don't preach the gospel, if we don't share the gospel just like it is in the Word of God, if we start changing the gospel, a person cannot be saved with that change. They cannot be saved apart from the Word of God. If we get away from the gospel, they will never Correctly know the gospel message in order to know Jesus as their personal savior. We cannot change the message. We have friends coming behind us. We have millions of lost souls coming behind us. This world is being populated every single day with people who never once heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They all need to know that we cannot go to heaven by good works. They all need to know that without the blood of Jesus, we cannot go to heaven. They all need to know that the blood is the scarlet lifeline between heaven and hell. We have to proclaim this. They all need to know that a bloodless religion will never take anyone into the presence of God. And people today are trying to get to heaven by their own works, just like they did in the days of old. You remember the story of the Tower of Babel. People tried to build a tower to get themselves into heaven. And people are building towers of Babel all over the world today. It didn't work then. It won't work now. Lastly this morning, look at number six. In the Old Testament in the wilderness, and and I give you a sacred typology in the Old Testament God told Moses to erect the tabernacle. And I want you to see this. This is very important. You'll lose me here now if you don't stay with me, if you don't stay focused. This here is a little deep, and I want you to stay with it so you can see it, you can get it, you can rejoice in it. God instructed him exactly how to build the tabernacle. Surrounded by the outer court, the tabernacle contained the holy place and the holy of holies. Inside of the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant. You've heard something about the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant was the only piece of furniture in that area. The ark of the covenant was made out of acacia wood and it was overlaid with pure gold. The wood is a type of flesh, the type of flesh of Jesus, and the gold is a picture of his deity. And certainly we know a little bit about his deity. The word says this in John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And in John chapter 1, verse number 14, the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the God man. He was God, but he was God in the flesh. He was the God man. On top of the ark of the covenant, listen now, there was a slab of gold. And the slab of gold on top of the Ark of the Covenant was known as the mercy seat. I want to know, and listen carefully, how much do you know about the mercy seat? On this mercy seat, the slab of gold known as the mercy seat, on top of the mercy seat there were two cherubims. And these cherubims were facing each other. They were looking down on the mercy seat. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant, there were three things. Aaron's budding rod, a pot of manna from the wilderness, and the Ten Commandments. These were the three things inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, here's the thing. The high priest, he would take a spotless lamb and he would offer it as a sacrifice to God he would then take the basin of blood and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. The mercy seat is important. Now, here's the thing. God was showing his people something very incredible. He was showing them the law that man could not keep was under the mercy seat. And when God looked down on the Ark of the Covenant, he did not see the law. He saw the blood. And that's a virtual picture for you and I today. When God looks down on me, when God looks down on you and you are a believer and you have trusted the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior and you have received Christ, you have opened your heart's door, you have let him in, God doesn't see the law that we could not keep. When God looks down upon you and I today, he doesn't see our filthiness and our wretchedness Though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When God looks down, he sees the blood. And he sees that we've been covered and we've been redeemed by the blood. He doesn't see the works of righteousness that we have done. As believers, when God looks down on us, he only sees the blood. Thank God for that. I want our musicians to come forward and I want to tell you about an amazing story I heard the other day and it's a true story and maybe you've heard it. Some of you that are baseball fans would probably recognize and resonate with this story more than some, but it fascinated me. This is a true story. Ty Cobb was one of America's greatest baseball players ever. He played a total of 3,033 games. He scored more runs in his day, a total of 2,224. He made more hits, 4,191, until Pete Rose came along and surpassed him on almost everything. He led the American League in battling 12 times. With the swing of the bat. But on July 17th. In 1961. Ty Cobb was on his deathbed. Somehow a preacher was able to get into the room. To talk to him as he lay dying. And the preacher took an opportunity. To tell Ty Cobb how to know Christ as his personal savior. And Ty Cobb looked up in that preacher's face on his deathbed with his breath fleeing from his body. And Ty Cobb asked the pastor this. He said, you're telling me that a whole lifetime of sin can be done away with by one simple deathbed repentance? And the preacher said, no, sir, that's not what I'm telling you. He said, Mr. Cobb, I'm not telling you that A deathbed repentance can do away with a lifetime of sin. But I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus can. At that moment, Ty Cobb, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, gave his heart to Christ. And the preacher turned around to walk out of the room. And Ty Cobb said, Preacher, wait just a minute. He said, I want you to tell all of my friends when I leave this world that I'm sorry that I gave my heart to Christ in the bottom of the ninth. I should have given him my heart in the top of the first. And he passed away. Don't wait till your time is gone. There'll be no second chance beyond the grave. Only the blood of Jesus can wash your heart. Listen, I don't know how that works. I don't know how. And these very intelligent people today of our world, they've got these questions coming at us from a theological perspective and they don't get it. They don't know the chemistry of the blood. Listen, I don't know how a black cow can eat green grass give us white milk and produce yellow butter but it it works I can't explain to you this morning other than the fact that the blood that Jesus shed on the cross was God's own perfect royal blood and it saves to the uttermost I'm glad I don't have to figure it out I'm glad all I can do all I need to do is trust him You listen to Pastor Tony Kahoot for more information visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com